0: assessment is one of those things that I really, really struggled with when I first started teaching. I think I mostly didn't have a lot of knowledge about how assessment in the music room relates to assessment in other subjects, whether it should be the same or different, and how it could fit in the same box as the other grades my students are receiving on a report card. Well, I've learned over time a couple of things. Number one, active assessment is embedded and inherent in what we do in our music classrooms, as long as we are in intentional about our lesson objectives, and number two, although our classrooms function differently than a grade-level classroom, we are consistently making observations, gathering data, and adapting our instruction based on what our students need, all of which, I might argue, are at the very heart of what assessment truly is. Today, I am talking with my good friend, Victoria Bowler, all about how she approaches active embedded assessment in the music classroom. Victoria is an absolute master pedagogue and an expert in how to seamlessly integrate meaningful assessment opportunities into your active music-making classroom based on the intentional activities you are likely already incorporating into your lessons. You are listening to the Anacrusic Podcast, episode 118, and today I'm talking with Victoria Bowler all about active embedded assessment. Hi, I'm Anne Molesky, and I've helped music teachers just like you get more intentional in their classrooms through my trainings, curriculum, and tips shared on this podcast. The truth is, teaching music is hard. You have a bunch of kids to teach and not a lot of free time to figure out how. Feeling overwhelmed and frustrated is totally normal. But here's the good news. It only takes a few simple steps to flip the script. And although it may be simple, it's definitely not easy unless you have the right toolkit. So let's start tuning and transforming your music teacher life right now. The actionable steps you need to find the purpose, follow a sequence, and choose joy are right here. This is the Anacrusic Podcast. Before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to just take a hot minute and make sure that you've, number one, checked out the brand new Anacrusic website, and that you've snagged your copy of The Planning Playbook, which is my brand new guide for teaching anything and everything in the music classroom. This guide gives you a complete outline for how I teach all the concepts in my classroom, all while promoting student engagement and independent musicianship. This isn't a prescribed method or something that you can only do in a face-to-face classroom, but instead it's a flexible framework that allows you to be the best teacher musician in any scenario you might find yourself teaching music to children in. To snag your free step-by-step guide, complete with examples, head to annacrusickcom slash the planning playbook. Again, that's annacrusickcom slash the planning playbook, or just click the link in the show notes. Hey there, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Anacrusic Podcast. And this one is a truly special episode, and one that is long overdue. My good friend and colleague Victoria Bowler is an amazing pedagogue and an expert at all things assessment. As a matter of fact, the last time she was on the Anacrusic Podcast, and it was way more than a hot minute ago. But the last time she was on the Anacrusic Podcast, she was talking about assessment then too. But I think today's episode is a little bit more in depth and will even give you a better peek at how Victoria has mastered and completely streamlined the process of assessing intentionally in your classroom. Now, if you have never come across Victoria either on Instagram or through her YouTube channel or through her amazing blog post or her resource, The Planning Binder, you are in for a real treat today. Victoria is a leading elementary general music educator and curriculum designer. In addition to general music, Victoria has taught orchestra, choir, and percussion ensembles. In an administrative role, Victoria has served as fine arts coordinator, leading band, orchestra, choir, general music, and musical theater at the programmatic level. With ORF certification in all three levels and a master's in music education, Victoria is also in the process of completing her Kodai training. She publishes general music curriculum and instructional materials at victoriabohler.com, where she serves and collaborates with educators in their journey to create grounded and artistic music curriculum for their unique teaching scenarios. And I definitely encourage you to go and check out all of the links in the show notes to find out more about Victoria and how to work with her. But without further ado, friends, here is my conversation with Victoria Bowler, all about active embedded assessment. I am so incredibly honored and excited to have my friend, Victoria Bowler here on the podcast today. Welcome, Victoria hi thanks for having me yeah i this is so long overdue (laughs) it's been um, way more than a hot minute since you've last been on the podcast um actually talking about a very similar thing (laughs) the exact same thing as a matter of fact you know how how long ago was it that you were on here originally um but i'm super excited for you to talk about all things assessment today on the podcast because I admire you so much in this area, in many areas, but definitely in this area and some of the conversations that we've had and how um, intentional you are about this. So before we go down the assessment rabbit hole, can you just take a couple minutes and for folks who don't know you, just tell us about yourself.
1: Sure. Um, I am beyond thrilled to be here uh, yakking about assessment again because it's um, one of my favorite things to talk about. Uh, My background is in elementary music, and that is my favorite thing in the world. My bachelor's and master's degrees are in music education. I've also been fortunate enough to study under some really incredible pedagogues in my Kodai and my Orff Schulwerk levels. Um, I have completed all of my Orff training um, in terms of levels, not in terms of learning about the Schulwerk. (laughs) Um, And I was excited to continue my Kodai levels, but as we all know, that will need to wait for another time. And then on a day-to-day basis, I am incredibly fortunate enough to work with elementary music educators through my website, victoriabowler.com, and we get to collaborate on ways to make curriculum that are artistic and student-centered and grounded in solid pedagogy.
0: Yes, and I love all of that. So one of my favorite things about reading Victoria's amazing blog posts or watching any of her YouTube videos is that every single time I watch one of them, I'm just like over here, like worshiping, being like, yes, 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 because we. I just feel that we're so aligned on so many things. So I'm super duper excited to talk about assessment today. So when you think about your overall philosophy of music teaching, and you're obviously more than welcome to talk a little bit about that alone, but... Um, um, where does assessment fit into that bigger picture? Right, right.
1: Um, assessment is the core of everything we do as educators. And we don't always think about it in those terms. But if we were to invite students to, let's say we're going to play the game to BB Bumblebee and we say, okay, here's how to play the game. Okay, go. And then we cover our eyes and we go, la, 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 I can't hear you, I can't see you, la, 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 right? <laughs> we would be really bad music teachers on a number of levels. The reason that we keep our eyes open, and we keep our ears open, and that we don't speak with the students as they are playing the game, speaking the rhyme, is that we want to be able to see what they are doing, and we want to be able to hear what they are doing. And depending on what we see and what we hear, that absolutely tells us the next step. So maybe the next step is we're going to play the game again. Maybe the next step is we're going to play it um, on body percussion. Maybe the next step is we're going to move it to uh, unpitched percussion and then we'll move it to pitched percussion and then we'll add a movement idea, etc., etc. So assessment is the core of everything we do as music teachers, because it's how we know what students need from us next. It's not extraneous to good teaching. It's embedded in good teaching. It's not something that happens right before report cards are due. It's ongoing and it's active and it's embedded.
0: Yeah. And I love that you say that because for so long for me personally, especially in those early years of teaching, I felt like assessment was something that I had to plan separately. It was like, okay, I have this whole concept sequence. I have this whole series of lesson plans or even just a lesson plan. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, if I'm gonna take a grade, what does that look like, right? And and thinking about it very separate from whatever my behavioral objective was for the day, whatever my learning target was for the day, like any of that stuff. Whereas I've come to realize, as you exactly just said, that it is 100% embedded in what we do on a consistent basis all the time
1: right right so the activity is the assessment and the activity is the behavioral objective right these are all the same things that serve different functions but at its core this is what we're talking about when we talk about teaching elementary general music the objective is the assessment the assessment is the activity
0: Awesome. So you kind of already answered this, but go into a little bit more detail about how you do assess on a regular basis, like what that looks like beyond just kind of keeping your eyes and ears open all the time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And this is the biggest thing that when I talk to colleagues about assessment, the biggest thing that comes up is I don't have time to assess and I have too many students to assess. And so if that is, I mean, that's a perspective perspective. I don't know about you, Ann. I've had that perspective before. Like I don't have time and I have too many students, right? So if that's where, if that's where you are listening to this, um, I first want to just acknowledge it is really tricky to find answers to some of these questions Mm -hmm. Um, and it can feel super overwhelming and it can feel like um, just a huge daunting task to, to even have someone um, suggest that you should be assessing all of your students on a weekly basis. That idea can be so overwhelming to us because we have limited class time and we have a lot of kids. And so I guess the the first thing that I want to say before we jump in is is just an acknowledgement of of the overwhelm that can come with this topic. It doesn't need to be overwhelming, but I think the way that we were taught to think about assessment makes it really hairy and really time consuming in ways that it doesn't need to be. So. All that rambling aside, I have another ramble before I actually answer your real question. Um, before I jump into this, I do need to make a distinction between what we think about when we think about assessments versus grades. And this is a huge distinction. And this is where we get caught up. Assessments are how we know what students need from us next, Grades are an evaluation of student learning that we get to put on a report card and send to our administration. Grades are the things we care about the least. Assessments are the things we care about every single moment of every single class. And and there are ways again, to get really intentional about that. So I want to make a distinction here. We have grades, for our administrators, but we have assessments for us. And when we're assessing, we are assessing the strength of our teaching and the strength of our curriculum and the strength of our classroom environment and the strength of the social interactions students are having. So that's that's the key distinction. I'm gonna talk about assessment a lot, um, but it's not assessment in a way that is punitive. It's assessment right. in a way that moves learning forward. Right. That's my huge caveat
0: no I love um, that I, I love that sorry go ahead no no no. you go you go no because um I was just thinking to myself okay so like how do you assess on a regular basis does that mean that everything requires an assessment that you do in your classroom and the answer is yes but not everything requires a grade right Perfect. yes yeah.
1: yes absolutely so there are things that we care about in each lesson um for most of us, that means at least one behavioral objective. For a lot of us, there are two big things that we really care about in the lesson. So a major behavioral objective and a minor behavioral objective. When we write, <laughs> when we write those things, those things that we want students to do, we are writing something that we want to see or something that we want to hear from students. And so when we actually implement that game, let's go back to BB Bumblebee, there's a specific reason that we chose BB Bumblebee. And if we don't know the reason, then that's the first step, right? Like, why did you choose this really fun activity? Mm -hmm. Um, If the answer is just because it's fun, that's totally fine. How could we maybe start with something fun and then uncover a musical concept or idea or understanding that we can use in the larger picture of our students musicianship. So how do you assess on a regular basis in your classroom? It starts by being super intentional about the types of activities and experiences that students are going to have in your classroom. And that's the first thing we want our assessments to be active. That's the first thing, active assessment. The second thing is embedded assessment, which means every activity is tied to a larger learning goal. And in embedded assessment, the assessment doesn't happen after the activity. The assessment is the activity. Mm -hmm. So our assessments are active, they are embedded, and then we're going to get super strategic about how we are documenting these scores um, so that the assessments are both fair to students and that's the active embedded part and they're manageable for us. And that comes with documentation.
0: Ooh, yes, yes, yes. All the things. All right. So let's just, let's keep going. Let's keep getting into it. So I'm going to bring in some terms that I think, um, I think may kind of relate to, I shouldn't say this, but it may kind of relate to like the grade versus assessment theme. And a lot of this comes from me thinking about how we can take what we do in our music room, like what you were just talking about, how everything is an assessment and how grades are different and sort of fit it into the language that everybody uses in education more broadly, right? So thinking about like the word summative versus formative, I'd love for you to talk about that, how how it might work in your classroom, how kind of you think about those things, if you even use those terms, you know, how you define them, if you do, where they live, all of those things. I would love to hear your thoughts on that.
1: Sure, sure. Um, formative versus summative are, those are terms that people use a lot in terms of assessment. And I think they are helpful in the sense that they help us reframe this, um, this insistence on mm-hmm hard grades, mm-hmm. you know, I think they are unhelpful in that um, it's possible that when we spend all of our time talking about formative versus uh, summative assessments, we kind of missed the point. Mm. Um, with summative assessments, the idea or with maybe just with our current view of assessments, it's like I teach, you, I teach you. 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 You take an assessment to see what you know, mm-hmm. and that's when when researchers who have spent a lot of time on this, um, when they look at how students learn best, they find that this linear view of assessment is actually not that helpful because at the end of the summative assessment, at the punctuation of your. Uh, your unit, whatever that unit is, if you add a punctuation, a period, at the very end, what happens to the student who hasn't gotten it yet? It's too late. It's too late to do anything to help that student move forward. The report cards are printed, um, they've gone home, and and it's it's over, right? It's summative. What researchers have found when they look at student learning is Our assessments function much better when they are circular. So instead of, I teach you, 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 you you take an assessment, it is, you give me feedback, I design a learning experience. You give me feedback, Mm -hmm. I design a learning experience. You give me feedback, I design a learning experience. And it spirals from kindergarten through fifth grade. There's never a point when we are done talking about musicianship in any of these areas. You know, so I don't I don't I don't think about assessment in terms of formative versus summative um, because I'm thinking about what will drive learning forward, mm. not what will encapsulate student achievement with a number. Does that does that make sense?
0: Yeah, 100 percent. I, I just as you were talking um, about this, it was making me think about you know, how our music classrooms and hopefully how, you know, all really good teachers, I think, whether they teach music or not, are approaching their classrooms the way that you just you just shared where you design an experience and you get feedback and everything's informing everything else as opposed to kind of this you know the the frere (laughs) model of banking education you know from the pedagogy of the oppressed where it's like you deposit the things and then they kids file and store it and they can regurgitate it when the time comes right which is like Sadly enough, what I remember from every formal education experience I've ever had, you know, save mm-hmm. music class. Um, and so I think it's interesting to think about how our curriculum functions. Because you know, as you said, our assessments are embedded in our curriculum and those objectives and everything else. And if we're constantly talking about this beautifully spiraled curriculum that's always informing what's happening next and it's cumulative and all of the things, it only makes sense that there is not an endpoint with assessment. It only makes sense that the assessment, since it's embedded, is part of that active music making experience that's going to keep informing what's happening next indefinitely. So I love yes. love that. That's awesome. Yes.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then to piggyback and clarify um, something that I said earlier, it's not that you, you can't have a punctuation mm-hmm. at the end of a unit, you know? And it, it's, so for example, like if you wanted to use all of the rhythmic and melodic and form and texture and expression, all of these things that students are working on and ask them to use that knowledge in a composition. Mm. That composition would be such a beautiful way to wrap up um, a learning period on a certain set of ideas you know and if you want to go even um further than that and have students talk about how this music relates to their lives how this music relates to their past experiences all of these things can add really beautiful closure Mm -hmm. but they but Mm -hmm. i don't know Anne. um when when we do assessments well the summative assessment isn't going to tell us anything that we don't already know You know, and, and that's what researchers who look at, at learning, that's what they have arrived at. the The summative assessment is nice, and it can give us s- some information. But if we're doing assessments well, it's not going to surprise us at the end. We're not waiting to see what students know until the very, very, very end of the unit.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because, um, you know, if you think about like qualitative data versus quantitative data, right? So, the way that I think about it, and maybe it's not a good parallel at all but this is how my brain works so if you think about you know summative if you're thinking about um excuse me formative assessment rather that's all the observations that we're doing all the time that you're talking about and then if you need to do something to turn it into numbers to create a grade which you do like you said there there is an opportunity since part of our concept sequencing since part of our learning sequence framework is thinking about sharing
1: Right mm-hmm. and and
0: coming up with some sort of product in the sense that it can be shared, that's where your opportunity is. If you do need to do a summative assessment, if you do need to create, you know, one two three four or a smiley face or a sad face or that's sad to say, a sad face. I'm to <laughs> say. Yeah, yeah, I, do, I'm I do. To like something <laughs> that is like saying, okay, the kids got it, or they don't, or they need more help. So, yeah. yes,
1: yes, okay, and and this brings up something else. Um, we can weave in these, um, we, have, we have different types of data. We have quantitative, we have qualitative, and those are terms that you just used. I went a long time and not knowing the difference between those two. So oh, same. quantitative, yeah, okay.
0: <laughs> same. Yeah, please continue. Um,
1: okay, so there are things that we can show with numbers and that makes it really easy to summarize information at a glance. And that is what is wonderful about numbers. So when you have your rubric and it has a one, two, three, four, and you know what a three means, you don't have to write down for every single individual student. This student perfectly articulated each um, each stroke on the drum for Takadimi. It was in perfect time with the tempo of the class and they stopped when the song was over. We cannot write that for every single student, right? right? And so instead, since that's my goal of the activity, that becomes the three on my yeah. rubric. right? And then I think, OK well, if Anne were in my classroom, how would Anne perform this? Whatever Anne would do, that picture of musicianship that's above what I would expect a second grader to do on just like an average day, average um, class time, etc, uh, that would become a four. And then I think, what if I were that second grader and I just needed a few more tries to really nail it? That picture of musicianship becomes a two. Mm-hmm. And then I think, what if I had a really bad day? Because I've had bad days before and I've shown up to music rehearsals when I've had a really bad day and I was not in a place to perform anywhere near my best um, so what if I had a really bad day or if I were super excited and thinking about something else that comes before or after music class, what would that picture of musicianship look like? That is probably a one. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about making rubrics and I do have rubrics for, for every activity I care about, there is probably a rubric or another measurement tool to go with that. Um, but it's not just one, two, three, four, for the sake of a number. The numbers are meant to encapsulate mm. a picture of musicianship. So that's the quantitative, that's the numbers part. Do you have anything yeah. that you wanna jump in?
0: No, I just I'm thinking about how, yeah, no, continue, because I think you're gonna say what I'm thinking. Keep going. Okay,
1: <laughs> what a fun game, wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we have qualitative, and the qualitative is that voice in your head, that's always going like, and it's just like the stream of narrative about what's going on in the class all the time. Those stories, those um, those pictures, those uh, that text—that is our qualitative data. So things like a portfolio, like a seesaw. Um, class portfolio or something that you have in your Google Drive to document the progress of students that would be qualitative because um when when students when when you're looking at student progress and you say like hmm let's check in on Johnny how has he been doing in music class too that doesn't really tell you anything but if you right. say like i can see that at the beginning of the year Johnny was acting this way in music class and then he started doing this and now he's here and here's the picture of musicianship now that is the qualitative stuff the qualitative data are like the notes that we jot on the lesson plan or the voice memo that we do on our drive home from school um, or something that we jot down in a journal or something like that the qualitative data is there to give a larger story of the quantitative data so it's not that you need to write down notes about johnny every single class but if we need something to help clarify this number that's when the qualitative data comes in the stories
0: yeah and so what you said about taking um having this picture of musicianship is huge, Mm. right? So it's this idea going all the way back to what we talked about at the very beginning, thinking about how it's embedded. That's the picture that you come up with when you write your plan in the first place, right? And it's this idea that it's not, it's, it's a moving picture too. So it has all of those like sonic qualities of whatever would happen if a documentary filmmaker would come in your classroom, you know, which is, that terrifying thought that I like to reference a lot, just because that gives you that true picture of what's happening and progress even throughout your music class, right? So, so I think that that is just so super key, and having clear a clear vision of what like kind of the ultimate goal is in terms of that picture, and then like you said, having the idea of what those subsequent pictures might look like as we look to quantify grades, I guess, or or make an assessment with numbers. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah. 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 And it's not that um, since we're music teachers, we don't have grades. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like since we're music teachers, we don't document assessments. We do. We do, and the assessments, the assessment documentation drives learning. And sometimes those assessments are numbers, and that is wonderful. We should not be afraid to score a numerical value to an observed musical skill. That's the whole point of what we're doing there is that we're trying to drive learning forward. And so it's okay It's okay to use rubrics in music class. It doesn't mean that students are not being musical. It means that you are being intentional Mm. about the picture of musicianship that you need to see in order to have students um, develop the skills that they need to be empathetic and expressive and artistic musicians.
0: Yes, I love... (laughs) That <laughs> that's great. No, I think, and I think you know what you said about again, just this idea of be this picture that we have about students' musicianship. That's what we mean when we talk about behavior, because you know, mm-hmm. there's so so often in the quote unquote specials classes, it's like here's a behavior grade, here is a participation grade, and it's like, well, no, there it should really be this curriculum based assessment with musical behavior, because that implies the other two. Right, like yes. it's not just kind of the the existing, and what looks like passive participation. So, love it. Yes, absolutely, awesome, cool. I think you've kind of you've kind of hit on all of this. But is there anything that you want to talk about in terms of strategies to keep track of assessment data? Um, like maybe just some real tangible ways that teachers can start to incorporate this idea, especially if it's new to them
1: yeah for sure for yeah. sure um when when we talk about assessing hundreds of students a week, we already talked about how that can feel really overwhelming. And there are a couple reasons for this. One is we don't have a good strategy for documentation and we're probably confused. If assessments feel overwhelming, we're probably confused about what they need to look like and how they should breathe in the classroom. So so I think that just some clarity on what assessments are and what they do can help with that. Um, Another reason I think that we get really overwhelmed with assessment is that, Um, I think I'll speak for myself. I have a tendency to engage in all or nothing thinking where Mm. I think, uh, if I am not documenting grades for every single student, every single class, every single week of the grading period, then it's not worth even trying. If I can't assess 800, it's not worth it to assess 25. Mm. And we do that, I think, with really good intentions because we're in teachers go into education because they are care based. People and especially um, this is another like kind of tangent, but especially with elementary teachers, when researchers have looked at the kind of teacher uh, profile, the teacher demeanor that goes into elementary versus the the teacher profile that goes into secondary, what they find is that the teachers who choose elementary are incredibly care based. Mm. Their primary goal is to nurture and support teachers who go into secondary have a tendency this is a huge sweeping generalization right <laughs> but this is you know on a on a statistical level on a sure. population level this is what the statistics kind of come out as um, teachers who go into secondary are are more concerned with helping students achieve their very best and reach huge goals not huge goals but but strategic goals and so another reason teachers are concerned about assessments is like i don't want a kid to feel like they're not good at music Because the reason we went into music education is we want all students to have a positive musical experience. So, I'm sorry for rambling again, Anne. You're asking me
0: about. uh (laughs) I'm asking about strategies to keep track of assessment data, but I wanna jump in real quick before you go there. So, the thing that you said about how you feel like you're all or nothing, so you need to be assessing all the things or taking a grade for all of the things. But there's something you said earlier that's really important, and the idea that this is continuous assessment to inform your instruction for what to do next. Mm-hmm. and you as an aware and everybody who's who's thinking this way as a very aware and intentional teacher will be consistently taking those observational assessments even if they're not written down so it doesn't have to have to always be i mean yes you want to keep track of data you want to have that running log <clears throat> excuse me because you do teach like a million children how many times a week right but at the same time as you're taking those observational assessments, as you're doing that voice memo, as you're starting to gather that type of data and thinking about planning your lesson for next week, that is still assessment. And I think that mm-hmm. that's a really important important point because for a long time, I thought I'm not doing assessment because I'm not taking grades because I wasn't required to give give grades in um, one of my, my past teaching positions. And so I was just like, well, I'm not taking grades, but I know I'm doing good stuff. And I had the proof in like a seesaw portfolio. I had the proof in what my kids could do and the types of things that they could create and the types of things that they were actively doing in my classroom. So I think that that's we keep kind of going back to this grade versus assessment distinction, which you brought up right at the beginning. And I think that it's a really, really important one for people to think about, even as we're talking about keeping track of data. Yes
1: yes absolutely absolutely if you don't document it you're still assessing we want to move towards yes documenting things but it doesn't mean that if listen and where where we start is where we start And so if we feel overwhelmed, right, and so if we feel overwhelmed and the first thing to do is to get clarity on picture of musicianship, then that's where we start and that's valuable and whatever work you do towards intentional assessment is valuable and it's worth it. So if you are not assessing 800 students every class every week, that's good because if you expect yourself to do that, that is a sure pathway to burnout, that's where burnout happens. We engage in all or nothing thinking. I'm either the best teacher in the world and I have beautiful rubrics for every skill I care about, or I'm a terrible teacher because I never even assess. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, we're somewhere in the middle. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know? Often you
0: are assessing, you're just maybe not writing it down yet right exactly so, exactly yeah. cool. exactly
1: so i want us to move away from this all or nothing thinking where assessments are only valuable if we implement them on a huge massive scale for every single student you know you are a good teacher no matter where you are in this assessment process and i know you're a good teacher because you're concerned with moving forward and that's what good education is so um i i spent some time thinking about this in terms of where would i even start and kind of thinking back to where i was before i felt like i had a good system Mm. and and the advice that i wish someone had given me (laughs) um so i i'm breaking this down into three levels the first level of this choose your own adventure level would just be to plan an assessment and implement it so for this you would just need a lesson plan and a blank rubric. With this lesson plan and a blank rubric, you're going to choose your class that you're going to assess. You're not going to choose a grade level. You're not going to choose your whole school. You're going to pick one class and it's going to be the class that you see tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And with this one class, you're going to pick one activity and look at it and say, why am I doing this activity? What is the outcome of this activity that I want to see? Even if you haven't done, and this is This is another thing I was talking to a teacher about this and she was like, I know backwards planning is a really good thing, but I'm not going to because like the book says that, you know, uh, etude 10 comes next and I'm just Mm going to do it. Right. Like in recorder karate, this is the next thing. And I know we're doing it. So I don't need to backwards plan a unit because I have a method book. right? Right. To which I say, fair enough. Right. Like that's where that's where you're starting. And we can have that conversation another time. But for now, let's just get a handle on what students are doing in your classroom, right? And we'll have the conversation about planning another time. And it's all good. Um, So you look at one thing that you're doing and you say, how will I know if students have done it? That is your rubric. And so when it's time to implement tomorrow, you just take some time to observe with your rubric and see what's going on in your classroom. You don't write anything down. You just take time to observe. In the next kind of iteration of this plan, you would work on documentation. And when it's time to document, Anne, you are not going to write down a three for every single student because that's going to take a lot of time. And um, in, in a regular elementary lesson, you are up and down and all around and you're moving and you're playing instruments and you're working in small groups. Right. So you're not going to document a three for every student who achieves a three on the rubric because statistically, when we look at uh, a population of, you know, 25 kids, I would expect maybe I would have five things to document. And what I'm documenting is students who score a two or a one or a four. Mm. And that is how you assess hundreds of students a week without it taking up class time. You're writing down things that matter. If a student is a three, I can leave it blank and I know the kid was a three. Mm. Because if I have to write down a three for every single student, I would be writing down a three 20 times, right? And then I would write down um, maybe a, a couple twos, maybe a one and a four or or whatever, whatever it is. Um, so we can be strategic on how we are documenting our assessments so that they are manageable for us. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, because chances are, pretty good chances are that if you're thinking about things this intentionally, again, half the work is is not just, that's the wrong way to say it. <laughs> if you're thinking about things this intentionally, though, things are going to fall into place. And the majority of your students are going to hit that three, which is which is where we want them, right? It's going to be right. those outliers that are mm-hmm. the two or the one or the four who, who are the ones that we need to take that data about to say they need this type of differentiation or they need this type of extension or they need this type of thing to either enhance what they're already able to do really really well or help get them to where they really need to be so yes. i love that that's such a good idea. yeah yeah
1: and and so then we're reframing like it's not how can i assess hundreds of students a week and it's not even how can i document 25 grades a week it's how can i find time to enter into a grade book Five numbers and when I have done this because I timed it and because I wanted I wanted to crack this code how do we make <laughs> assessments fair to our students and manageable for us and I was like why is this so darn hard right and then I timed it how long does it take in a class of 25 to document scores really how long does it take and it was less than a minute and a half when I actually sat down and timed it for a class and then I think well do I have time to in my planning, do I have a minute and a half in my planning? Yes, I do, right? Mm -hmm. And that kind of demystified it. I'm not trying to find time to document hundreds and hundreds of scores. I'm trying to find a minute and a half to write down a couple twos and a one and a four, and then someone who is absent. And that's all I need to do, you know?
0: Yeah, and I'm thinking about how you said, you know, when you sit down to plan, a a lot of that's happening happening too. And the thing is, is that that takes away some of the the mystery about what do I plan the next lesson? Yes. Right. You have those yes. scores for that lesson, that behavioral objective for the lesson that you just did. And you're thinking about what your behavioral objective needs to be for the next lesson. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot of information there to tell you exactly what it needs to be.
1: Yes. Yeah. I've, I've two things to say just to like, absolutely reiterate what you're saying. The first is, do you remember sitting down at a blank cursor and being like, what should I teach tomorrow? (laughs) Oh gosh, what should I teach tomorrow? If we are planning and assessing this way, we never have to worry. We never have to wonder what we're going to teach tomorrow. We know exactly what to teach. And so then we're not just scrolling Pinterest for like fun activities because we're busy in music class, right? Like we're creating, we're composing, we're having fun, we're playing games and it's intentional. And I know exactly what to do next class because I have these assessment scores, Yeah. right? The other thing is, uh in terms of i just want to give like a, maybe a little bit more clarity about why yes, i'm you. not documenting every single three um if i have like let's say in a class of 25 if i have like 10 students who are getting a 2 on that picture of musicianship that tells me i need to slow my roll i'm getting too excited we need <laughs> to go back and review as a whole class right so then i wouldn't be writing Um, a two for 10 or 15 students because I can get a lot more information by looking at my lesson plan and saying this broke down here and putting a star next to where it broke down because I because in, in that moment what I need to do is go back and talk to colleagues in the evening and say like why do you think this broke down? Let me tell you what happened. Or I need to say, oh, I know exactly what happened. I need to change the wording. Or I needed another layer between this and this, right? And that's where we talk about qualitative, quantitative. It doesn't, in, in that moment, in that instance, if the majority of the class or a large portion of the class is getting a two, that tells me the problem is not with the student. It's definitely with me. Problem's not with the student. It's definitely with me. And so I can give myself some feedback there and we're always we're always assessing ourselves when we're assessing our students but in that kind of situation i wouldn't document a two for every student i would just say like whole class review tomorrow i need to go figure my stuff out bear with me kids i will get it together for you i promise you know
0: a hundred percent hundred million percent and the thing is too is that even without like you said you don't need to document all 10 of the twos or whatever it's like after the first three you can kind of continue, you know, cause you're probably not going through like one by one to write it down, right. it's like a whole class yes, yes. activity. And like, you kind of start just noticing, getting ready to write things down. And it's like, wait, this isn't, this isn't right. <laughs> like we need to slow, slow your roll as you, as you said. So um, yeah, I think that, again, I think a lot of the mental hang up, it comes between those observations and writing things down. So, so I think that that helps clarify things quite a bit. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, And, and there are lots more, there are lots of weeds that we can get into. There are lots of ways that assessments can be implemented. There are lots of strategies that we can use to get individual documentation for each student in one class. Right. Uh, And I don't think we have time to go into, you know, all of, all of the things about that. Um, But there are ways There are ways to do assessments well that are musical and that are student-centered and that still give us valuable data on how we can serve students moving forward.
0: That was like the perfect little bow on this gift of a podcast episode, (laughs) Victoria. (laughs) I'm not saying that to be a brat, I'm being serious. That's like totally, like that just sums it all up. Is there anything else that that you wanna share today about assessments or would you like to just share with folks where they can find out more, because they can find out lots and lots more from you if they would like to.
1: (laughs) Sure. Um, I love talking about elementary music. I could talk Anne's ear off about assessment specifically for a really long time. Um, If you want to uh, hang out with me and uh, talk my ear off about assessment and maybe go deeper into some of these really actionable um, real world teaching strategies. Um, I, I've spent time thinking about two research questions. How can we make assessment fair to our students and manageable for us? Uh, if this is something that interest you, I have a course on active and embedded assessment in elementary general music, and you can find that at victoriabowler.com. Um, I think, and this episode is going to air on a Thursday mm-hmm. and this course will be available on Friday. So if you're listening to this in real time, you can find it tomorrow. Um, in, in addition to that, man, if you have something to say about assessment and you just want to like get it off your chest, like how much you hate it, you love it right like how much your principal misunderstands the point whatever whatever it is um you can find me on instagram i am at victoria bowler and you can shoot me an email i'm victoria at victoriabowler.com. and i would love to hear your rants i would love to hear your sob stories people or or your triumphs right but i just know um when i when i open when i invite teachers to share like any hang-ups they have about assessment people have a lot of feelings about assessment and they start by saying Victoria, thanks for asking. I have a lot of feelings about yeah. this, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm I'm here I'm here for all of it. Or if you just want to um, say hi, hang out yeah. on Instagram, that's fine too.
0: Yeah, if you are not following Victoria on Instagram, you need to ASAP because number one, she shares little nuggets like what she shared a lot of nuggets about today and as you can tell just by listening to her she's very knowledgeable and very passionate and one of my favorite people to go to for all things pedagogy because she's so thoughtful um and just brilliant about all of this stuff so i so appreciate you coming on the podcast but also if you aren't following her on instagram you can see her amazing musicianship skills firsthand because she posts the most beautiful videos on YouTube too. I'm just a Victoria Bowler fan. It's all this <laughs> girl over here. Um, but I'm so grateful to call you a colleague and a friend. And I know that, um, if folks go and check out either your planning binder resources or this new course that they will only, they will just be amazed at, at what you share and, and the things that you do for our community. So I so appreciate you.
1: Oh, thank you, Anne. Thanks so much for, um, taking the time to talk.
0: Anytime, man. This is fun. We need to do it more. <laughs> awesome. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for spending this little pocket of your day with me. I know music teachers are super strapped for time, so be sure to check out all the resources on anacoustic.com for today's episode. Don't forget to click subscribe wherever you're listening to today's podcast so you don't miss an episode of TAP. That way, you'll be notified each and every week when a new episode is live. And if you want even more tips and tricks delivered to your inbox, like a little love note from me to you, make sure you sign up for the Anacristic newsletter and you'll be the first to know all the things. Also, if you are feeling today's episode, take a screenshot and tag me on Instagram and Facebook. And I'd love you forever if you take a hot minute and leave a review. See you next time.